since I enjoyed preaching out of the first part of Haggai chapter 1 so much, I figured we'd just finish the chapter here uh, tonight. So why don't you all stand and turn to the book of Haggai, if you remember. It's the uh, book of Matthew, flip back three books, and you have found your, your way to, to Haggai. So there's going to be a little bit of review. I, I would imagine, I know I, I needed to review and I, and I was going to preach it. So I figured if, 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 uh, if I'm going to be preaching it and I got a review as to what I said last time, I probably ought to get a little, uh, give a little uh, background as to what happened again and do a little refresh and catch us up to where we are when we get to uh, verse number 12. So I've entitled uh, the message today, uh, God's Agenda Goes Forward with a Four-Word Message. All right, so God's agenda goes forward with a four-word message. All right, so we're going to read the whole chapter, but we're really just going to, when we get to the text, is going to be chapter, uh, verse number 12 through 15, all right? Haggai chapter 1, verse number 1 says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people say, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye, ye look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when... Uh, ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought, and upon, uh, a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. And then verse number 12, or our text will be, says this, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, thus saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord, in, in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the fourth and twentieth day, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. If you would mind, let's have one more word of prayer before we start. Father, sure and thankful for the opportunity to preach. And um, stand here in the pulpit. It's such an honor and a blessing. I'm grateful for it. Lord, I do ask that you'd help me to feed your people here this evening. And, and uh, Lord, that I know they have struggles and difficulties and, and heartache and pain. And I pray that you'd meet the needs that need to be met here tonight through your word. 
and fill us up, Lord, with your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, aren't the uh, early uh, stages of child-rearing fun? I say that sarcastically because it's absolutely horrible. Um, it, it's one of those things that tests your spirituality. And, and I would say I have a generally good child, you know, from, the, from birth, really. But still, you know, uh, it's not fun at times. And no child in the beginning is what we, I would call an intelligent hearer. And, and so what I mean by that is one that can, can hear the tr the, what you say, process it, and obey it. I, I don't know a child that can do that uh, for at least 18 years. <laughs> you know, they, they hear your voice, but they, they, don't, they don't really do what you say. Now, now, to be honest with you, they're very good at hearing and seeing the things that you don't want them <laughs> to hear and see, right? And then they're good at doing those things. So I, my wife told me a story of, of my son and they were out uh, driving and uh, Abby was driving up to a light and it turned yellow so she did the spiritual thing and slowed down, you know, and stopped and, and, and Jay looked at her and said, huh, why'd you stop at that yellow light? And she said, well, because you're supposed to stop at a yellow light. And he goes, man, if that was dad, he would have just gone right through it. <laughs> I'm like, be quiet. <laughs> and then he's in the back of this, the in the back of the car, car, you know, in the back seat. And I hear him going, "What are you doing, buddy? Go, 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 go!" And for a second there, I'm like, "What are you?" Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was me. <laughs> yeah. They're good at doing those things. And I know it takes them a while to be an intelligent hearer, to, to hear and do, um, to understand what no means. But the truth is, is that if, if you're a parent and, and you've gone through the portion of raising your child, you know when they know what no means. You know. And they know. Everybody knows. <laughs> you know, it's like you, we, we would you know, train and say, no, Jay, don't touch that. And we got to the place where when he understood what no was, he'd go to reach for something and we'd say no and he'd hesitate. And I'm like, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Now I know you know what no means. And then he touches it anyways. Right. That's what they do. I, I just, uh, um, you know, it, it's the times that you attempt to teach them to do right is when you recognize that they struggle to hear things intelligently. You know, you try and teach them to do right and you recognize, okay, they're struggling to do it. So something's going on up here. And I know they're just a child, and I don't want to be too hard on them, but, but truthfully, it's, it's agonizing at times. And I, I remember we put this basket of socks in, in my son's room, and he was, I don't know what he was, nine months, he's crawling around the house, and we put the basket in there, and I'd spent time with him, Abby had spent time with him, a basket full of socks, and we're saying, Jay, don't, don't touch the socks. And, and we got to the place where we, we thought he understood, and so, you know, a day later or whatever, we're out, and then every parent knows what it's like, for your house to go quiet. It's the most eerie sound when you have a kid or kids, right? Because you know something's going on. And so I, I, I'm like, hey, I better go check on what, he, what he's doing. And I go into, into the room, 
And, and there he is, the, the basket of, I think there's like 20 socks in there. I don't know why a, a nine-month-old needs that many socks, but he had that many. And there, was, there were socks strewn uh, everywhere, and he, and he had two fistfuls of socks and socks stuffed in his mouth. And I came in there, and he had the audacity to look at me and go, We had a floor lamp in his room. Why? We had a floor lamp in a little boy's room. I don't know. But I specifically, Jay, don't touch that. Don't touch it, buddy. Don't, don't, don't do that, Jay. No. And Abby was telling me this story when he was a, a little guy. She, we were, we were, she told me this story later on that day that she was out in the, in the kitchen. She heard this crash and bang and, sh and shattered glass. And so she goes running into his room and, and there he is. And he had knocked over the floor lamp and there's the shattered glass with the bulbs and and so she's telling me the story and I was like, man, you know, what was he? Did he look scared? Did he, did he look, you know, concerned? And she and she said, no, he actually looked pretty proud of himself. You know, I'm like, yeah, not what not the aim, not the goal that we were wanting. But then there's those times. When your hard work and your labor, it pays off. You know what I mean? And there's like rejoicing. <laughs> And, and like you praise them and, and you, you give them candy. You're so happy. It's like you obeyed. No, you, you heard what I said. You listened and you processed what I said. You were an intelligent hearer. It's wonderful. Now, I, I've recognized that over the year that my response to Jay is very different depending on how he responds to my voice. Let me say that again. My response to my child is different, very different, depending upon how he responds to my voice. And, and do you realize that God responds to you differently depending on how you respond to his voice? I mean, God spoke to Israel. Man, did God speak to Israel. He, he spoke to Israel and, and his response to them was often dependent upon their response. And, and, and I'm not discounting the grace of God when somebody would do wrong and God would give great grace to them. But, but oftentimes we, we could say, and we, we have the recorded scripture that shows us that God will respond differently dependent upon how his people respond to his voice. And, and I know this is where I'm going to do a little bit of the background. And so hang with me because I want to get through it because we need to catch up to where we are if we're going to jump into verse number 12. And so Israel has come out of captivity. And, and, and the king there, Cyrus, has allowed them to go uh, back to Jerusalem and to build God's house. And, and so they, there they are, and they've been, burnt, they've been loaded down with money and, and gold that the king had given them. And he had given them the, the offerings to go and to, uh, to build the temple that he's given them free liberty to do. And of those, I don't know, millions of Jews that were there, some 50,000, a remnant, chose to go back to Jerusalem and to build their house and, and, and to build God's house. And, and when they got there, what they realized is that they, they had laid that foundation and then, and then they had set up the temple, the, I'm sorry, the altar, and they started to give sacrifices and they were praising God and they were thanking God for all that he had done. They laid that foundation and it was a wonderful time in the nation of Israel. And then after they laid that foundation, what they did was they had these people that came up to them, the Samaritans, as we know who they are. And they said, hey, we're like you. They were half Jew, half Gentile. And they're, we're like you and, and we worship like you and, and, and we want to build the temple. And Israel rightfully said, no, you're, you're not going to build the temple with us. This is our responsibility. You don't think like we think. You don't worship like we worship. You don't, you don't have the same God as we do. So, so we're going to build the house. And God's given us the responsibility to, the to build the house. And so these uh, Samaritans didn't like that. And so what they did is they, the Bible says they frustrated their purpose. 
And so they would go back to, uh, to the king who is not Cyrus anymore, but is now a king called Artaxerxes. And he said, Artaxerxes, these Jews, I'm telling you, they're rebellious people. And if, and if you allow them to build this temple that they just laid the foundation for, they're going to build a wall. They're going to they're take, take your money. They're, they're not going to give you money. And, and, and they're going to be a, a, a nation that's going to uh, fight you in war. And he goes, go ahead. Check the record books, and they check they check the record books and books, and, and sure enough, Artaxerxes saw that yes, Israel was a gr a great nation at one time, and and they they had a great army, and so he sent the message back to the children of Israel and said, the work of the Lord must stop. It's it's got to be done. And so it stopped for those sixteen years. Uh, the, the Jewish people stopped working on God's house, although it did not need to happen because uh, Cyrus had already made a decree and said you can build the house, and and all they had to do was send somebody back and say. Listen, you can, you can build the house because Cyrus said that we could, and according to their law, they were able to build the house. So really, they had the opportunity to, it's just that they didn't want to. And so when uh, uh, those 16 years later, there's a new king, his name is Darius, and he makes a decree wanting to secure the goodwill of the, uh, of the Jewish people. And he says to them, he says, listen, you now can go and, and can build God's house. You can build God's temple, except for they didn't want to. See, God had taken away an excuse from him and said, no, okay, now the king's on your side. Now what are you going to do? And they didn't want to. And the Bible says that, that God sent a prophet named Haggai unto them and he brought them to them in the city, into the city, and he really gave it to them. I mean, he really just filleted them open. And he said, the people say, the time has not come the time to build God's house. And he says, is it time for you, O ye, to build your houses while the house of God lies waste? Is it time for you to go and to, and to build your house and, 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 and you're going to uh, allow God's house to lie waste? Because what they were doing is they had shifted their attention over those 16 years. They had shifted it from building God's house and they had shifted it to building their own house. And they were, they were plowing the fields and they were, they were reaping corn and they were getting money and they were giving their attention now unto themselves selfishly instead of unto God. And they were saying, well, it's just not time yet. You see, the political climate isn't right and the Samaritans are there and they don't like us and a new king's going to be on the scene and as soon as we get started this king's going to say no and it's just back and forth and really it's just not time yet and he says okay but is it time for you to build your house and if you remember we had a, a little illustration over here where there were signs and, and we had cloths hanging over them and and we, and we talked about how how there was the cloth on there and the cloth was just an excuse and what the excuse was was just to say uh, uh, i i want to i want to just cover up what i really am and who i really am that's what we do we make excuses as to why we can't serve the Lord. It's what we've all, we, we do it fairly regularly. It's, I know I struggle with it. Maybe you don't, but I know I do. And, and what Haggai did is he, he took the word of God and he said, oh, okay, it's not time to build God's house, but it's time to build your house. And he yanked down the excuses and he unveiled the truth. And the truth was, is that they were lethargic and they were apathetic and they had misplaced priorities and they really didn't care about doing God's work. What they really wanted to do was to serve themselves. And so God sent Haggai to him and he said, now consider your ways. And then he said in verse number six, you have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you have, you're, you're, still, you're still hungry. You, you drink, but you're not full. You, you put money into a bag with holes in it. It's like, it's like you reap those, those crops and you, you give the labor and effort and all of the work that you, that you, that you do to, to, to sell your crop and to get money and you put it into a bag and you bring it home and all along the way, money's just falling out of it. And he, and he, and he says, really, you think you're going to have this much joy for giving yourself to your agenda instead of God's agenda, but when it's all said and done, you have this much joy. 
And you think you'll have this much, much comfort because, because you give yourself to, to, to your house and you have this much comfort. You expect this much, but you have this much. He says, consider your ways. Consider how hard you work and, and consider the labor that you give and, and that you realize when it's all said and done, there's like nothing. And then he says, again, consider your ways. And he says, here's my agenda. Your agenda is to work on your house. Here's what I told you to do and here's what I'm telling you to do. Because his agenda hadn't changed six, from 16 years ago until today. His agenda was still, go up to the mountain, get wood, and build my house. So it was pretty simple. Go to the mountain, cut down wood, bring it back, build the house. Done. That's what it was. And then he says, you looked for much, but lo, it came to little. You looked for this much, and it came to this much. And he said, when he brought it home, God took credit for it and said, I did blow upon it. It was me. Why? Well, well he said in there, because every man runs into his own house, and my house lies waste. Every man is so focused on their own agenda and their own life and their, their, own, their own money and their own comfort and their own joy and their own this and that. And he said, because of that, all I've had to do is go like this. And can, can you just see it? Man, man working and laboring and giving so much effort to, to get gain and to get comfort and to get what we assume to be and think to be wrongfully joy. And God just sits in heaven and goes, that's all he did. And so, the message was over from Haggai. And what we learned that if your agenda consumes you, God will consume your agenda. And then he kind of just, we just kind of left it there. But there's more to the story. And, and Haggai gives his message and, and just kind of like, you just see him sitting back for 23 days. 23 days he waited and just sits back and crosses his arms. In, in, waiting to hear what God would say. And God sits in heaven and he waits. And he looks in. And he sees his people. In 23 days, God observes their response to his word. And wouldn't you know it? <laughs> I, I mean, we, we got to give credit where credit's due. Because Israel's, they're a stubborn nation. And, and we've, it's been proven throughout the Bible that they're a stubborn nation. That God has sent them prophet after prophet after, after prophet. And they have stoned them and they have killed them. And they have rejected them. And they have done every unseemly thing to them because they didn't want God's word. And they rejected and they stiff-armed and they stiff-armed and they pushed this one away. And they wouldn't listen to that one all throughout their history. Century after century after century. There's these hard-hearted people that, that did not want, want the Lord. And they rejected God's word and they were disobedient people. But praise the Lord. Let's look at verse number 12 because he says, and all the people, he says, he says the governor and, and, and the priest and all the remnant of the people, he says this word to him, obey. I mean, we have to say amen to that. Uh, you think about it. How many, how, many, how many parents in here have a child and it's like you work with them and 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 they disobey and they disobey and they disobey and finally they, it's, it's like one day they get it. Yes! Yes! It's amazing. They obeyed. Now the word obey, it, it means this. To hear intelligently with the idea of obeying. So it's just not to understand, but it's to process it to the place where you hear what they said and you, and you obeyed what they said. Now, now, men, we have an ability, an innate ability. It's built within us. We don't even have to work at it to hear unintelligently. 
Yeah. Okay, I will tell him myself. I've sat in a car with my wife and I've been trying to process my day and think about other things and she's trying to just unload her day on me and, and something is in me. I don't know what it is. I don't like it, but it's there. Where, where it's just like I have this ability to give properly timed uh-huhs. Uh-huh. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, really? Uh-huh. And nothing's getting in. And I have a feeling that you all do too, men. <laughs> yeah. Okay, someone said no. Yeah. <laughs> and then your wife asked, what did I just say? She's my wife, my sweet wife, did that to me one day. And I went, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And I, that, on, that happened, and, and we moved on, and we're doing fine now. But I have an ability <laughs> to be unintelligent when I listen. It's, I, lo I love it. I don't want to talk to anyone else more than I want to talk to her. But there's something that's in me that's just, that's just goes brain dead. Unintelligent here. But they got it. They heard it. Well, okay, why, did, why this time? Why this time did they obey? And I think there's several factors to it, but I really think that the Word of God tells us as to why. Okay, but because you look it down to the place where he says obey in verse number 12. He says, And the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the word of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people did fear before the Lord. Oh man, this is so good. He, here's what they understood. They, they understood that, that, that the voice of Haggai was not just the voice of a man. They, they understood that Haggai was not just, he didn't just come up with his own message. He didn't just say what he wanted to say. But they equated this, that the voice of Haggai, it's like the voice of God. And God is, God is speaking through this prophet. And, and, and oh man, it, it's such a wonderful story where, where this, this prophet comes in with the word of God and they understand that, that this very man is speaking truth, not from some little uh, low earthly wisdom level, but a high level. And God looked down in their life and he saw that they were on the wrong agenda and God sent a man to him because he wanted to get them back on the right agenda. And they understood, we are off. We're wrong. And God sees. And God knows. God sent a messenger to shake things up, and man alive did he ever. And when these people recognized that the preaching of this prophet wasn't just man's words, but God's words, you know what happened? Obedience. And awe. Yeah, no, they, they realized that for all of these years, these 16 years that they had refused to follow God, they were on their own agenda. They realized that the chastisement that they had been receiving was not because of bad luck, but it was because of the God, very God in heaven, looked down and he saw their disobedience. And when they recognized that these two things came together in their mind, a light bulb went off and all of a sudden, what was at one time unintelligent hearing became intelligent hearing. And they said, God in heaven sees. God in heaven knows. And he sent a man to tell us and it brought him to a place of fear and the awe of God. Now here, I think it's every man's tendency in here, every person's uh, propensity that, that dwells within them to listen to preaching and yet fail to realize that it's from God. I don't always think it's out of rebellion, you know? 
I, I, don't, I don't think that we sit here and, we, and we're just rebellious to the place where I don't care what God says. I don't want to do what God... I don't think that's the heart of even the Southwest Baptist Church. But I think that we are creatures of habit. And, and I think that we have the ability to come into service after service after service. And we know when to stand and we know when to sit and, and, and we know when to sing and we know that we're supposed to listen to the choir and we know that we're supposed to listen to a, to a, to a song. And, and, and the whole time we, we could be thinking, oh, what am I going to do about this and work tomorrow? And, and what am I going to do about lunch? I'm hungry. Is Brother Andrew going to preach an hour and five minutes like last time? No. And we can get familiar with God. And I, I think there's a real danger here at Southwest Baptist Church. I, we were able to travel with music groups and, and see different churches for, for years. We were able to travel with groups. I've never seen a church like this in my life. I, in my life, I've never seen a church that is consistently fed with good Bible preaching like we get. And I don't think that the, the, the greatest danger for the Southwest Baptist Church is that we are going to experience weak need, uh, watered down preaching. That is not our issue. No, we don't, we don't have that problem. We have a pastor who rightly divides the word of God and he gives attention to it and, and it, it's on his mind all the time. I can just imagine that he's developing three messages a week and he's trying to hear from God and he wants to convey the truth, but that's not our biggest danger. Do you know what I think our biggest danger is? Is that we just get familiar with the whole thing. We just all of a sudden become unintelligent hearers. But, but hey, hold on a second. I, I want to remind you this, that the preaching of God's word is his avenue today in which he wants to speak to his people. God uses the word of God and he uses the preaching of the word of God because he wants to speak to you and he wants to speak to me. And God uses the word in your Bible reading because he wants to speak to you. And we can just get familiar with it. And we can take it for granted. I'm guilty of it. We've forgotten that God speaks. Let me ask you, did you, when you came in the door this morning and this evening, did you think God's going to speak? God is going to speak. I think that God's desire is that we recognize his voice. I, I think his desire is that when we come into church, that we just don't sit through another service and we don't sit through another message as just a thing to check off our list for the week. I, I don't think that, 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 that that's his plan for our lives. I, I think that God very much cares that when you and I come into this building and, and the and, and pastor meets with the Lord and, and, he, and he develops puts time into developing a message that is funny and that is engaging and that is intelligent and it makes sense and it's biblical, that surely his people would say, God is speaking. Because I think he wants us to do something with the word. Like obey. It's God's desire that we obey. It's God's desire that we respond in obedience. So wait, let, let me ask you this. When God confronts you about truth, how do you respond? Is it just, well, that's just his opinion. He doesn't, he doesn't preach opinions. He preaches truth. He, he preaches the truth. Well, I don't, I don't really agree with that. That's just not my, that he's a pastor. He's supposed to do that. Wait a minute. What does God say? And, and what is he telling us from his word? And if God says it, then you, you better believe we better obey it. If, 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 if heaven opened up today and God looked down to the Southwest Baptist Church and he spoke, you better believe we'd be all on our face. Can I tell you that God speaks? He is speaking. 
He didn't just speak back in Haggai's time. He, his, his, his design was that whoever were to, to rightly divide the word of truth and to speak Haggai's message that ultimately is his message is echoing the voice of God throughout the ages. And so when he confronts you about your agenda, how do you respond? In the context, when he confronts you about how you're spending your time, how do you respond? When he confronts us about how much phone usage we have to the neglect of our family, that God's agenda is not here, but it is here. When God confronts us about the, our, our lack of care for souls, how do we respond? Well, yeah, it's just what we do. We're the Southwest Baptist Church. We sit and we hear good preaching. We're a flagship, flagship church. That's what we do. How, how do we respond when God speaks? I want to ask you this. You sit in the pew when it's invitation time without even the thought of going to the altar. What are we saying? What are we, what are we saying? Are we saying that God never speaks? If God opened the windows of heaven and he spoke, you couldn't get to the altar. Friend, God is speaking. So we're saying, I would say, one of three things. If, if, we, if we sit in the pew and we never go to the altar, I say we're saying one of three things. Either God doesn't speak, we've reached a level of perfection to where we don't need to go to the altar, or we've plugged our ears and we've failed to hear God. Oh, we listen. Oh, we hear. But we don't obey. I don't know of any other options than that. And I'm not saying we need to be at the altar. I'm just saying... Has it been 10 years? What are we saying? Well, um, how would God respond if I don't hear God's word? If I don't do God's word? Well, I don't know how exactly how God, I can't say exactly how God would respond if we don't do his word. I can just say what he's done with, with Israel. I can, I can say that if we were to look back at the, at the history of Israel, what we understand is, is that those who continually rejected God's word and they chose not to, not to do God's word, he used other nations as his whooping stick. He would take Babylon and say, okay, Israel, boom. <laughs> All right, Assyria, here you go. Boom. I mean, I can't say what he would do to us. But I can say what he would do to, I don't know, the churches in Revelations. I mean, I, I can look at the church of, of Ephesus who did good things. No, they were right doctrinally. They, they fought for the truth and they fought for what was right. They loved doctrine but they left their first love. Oh, I'll do everything, God, but without a relationship. And what does God say? Repent. <laughs> or I'll remove your candlestick. We believe that to be a pastor. It's a scary thought. The church of Pergamos, and when he says, you've, em you've embraced the doctrine of Balaam, worldliness. You you've, em you've embraced it. And God says unto them, repent. 
or I, I'll come quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so there's other churches and there's other things that, that, that God would do. And I can't say exactly what God would do, but I can tell you this, that God resisteth the proud. And I've never seen a proud man like this. But I do see proud men like this. Almost persuaded. Okay. Well, how would God respond to those who obey his voice? Well, why don't we look at find out what God said in verse number 13? Because here's what happened before we get there. It had been 23 days and since Haggai's first message. And then word got out that the prophet wants to have a word with his people, with God's people. And come on, you, you would understand the, the level of, of confrontation that he had with his people, with God's people. And for 23 days, Haggai sat back and there's those people and, and they're just thinking on what, what happened. They hear, hear Haggai wants to talk to this. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to meet at the foundation. I, I'm making that up totally. I don't know if that's true, but we're supposed to meet at the foundation of the temple. And so they, they walk out of their big elaborate houses and they walk up to the temple and there is Haggai and, and he stands before the people and, and it's like almost like when he stands and he, and he inhales to give the word of God that they kind of, they kind of shriek back because they're afraid of what, the, what is this man going to say? And, and God had looked down at the nation of Israel and he had seen that they had, had obeyed. And God gave uh, Haggai, the, the, he calls him the messenger of the Lord, a message. God dispatched him with a message. And here's what he said to the nation of Israel. I am with you. Say what? Yeah. Yeah, he said, I am with you. What did he just say? No, God, God looked down at the nation of Israel for 23 days and, and he, he, he saw what they were doing. And, I, and I'm sorry, I'm telling you, there must have been some great repentance that went on. There must have been people that were getting right. And there must have been families that were getting right. There's, there's probably meetings where they could say, okay, how do we get started on the temple? And I, I'm just saying that they, they got back to the place where they were obedient and God saw it. And here's, what God, here's how God responded to those who listened to his voice, who obeyed his voice. He said, I'm giving you my presence. And God's agenda went forward with a four-word message. He comes in and says this, I am with you. Good night. <laughs> Could you imagine any preacher at Southwest that comes in and says, all right, open your Bible to, it doesn't really matter. I am with you. Good night. And everybody goes home. What, what would it take for someone to give a four-word message a miracle, what would it take? Absolute obedience for an entire congregation? What else are you going to say? <laughs> I really saw that. No, I didn't see that in your life. You, no, no, you actually did pretty good all week. <laughs> I'm with you. See you later. Good night. And so because these people heard God's voice and they processed it and they obeyed God's voice and they knew that the, that, that the prophet Haggai was speaking God's word and they connected the two, they said, okay, I, I believe that that is God's word and because it's God's word, I'm going to obey. And the obedience brought about God's presence in their life and there was fellowship again, a relationship again. I think there's a link between how we handle God's word and our fellowship with him. 
Matter of fact, I'm pretty confident that there is. You go to the book of, of John and you go to John 15 and you'll find out that Jesus is talking to his disciples and, and, he, and he goes on and he uses the word abide. I can't remember, maybe nine times, I can't remember. But he uses that word and he keeps using it. Abide, abide in me, abide in me. I am the, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And, and he says, if, if you're broken off from the vine, you can't bear fruit. You're good for nothing. You're just good for the fire. And, and he said, but if you, if you abide in me, if you just take up residence in, in me, you know what's going to happen? You're going to bear fruit. Well, how does that happen? Well, he says it in verse number 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, in love with me, meaning we fall out of love with God, but he doesn't fall out of love with us. But if we're just simply obedient to his word, you know what that brings? Fellowship. Yeah. Man, that's good. And, and I, maybe you've been operating, maybe you've been operating the Christian life for a while without God's presence. Don't we all fall into that? I know exactly what it's like to go through the ministry and to go through teaching classes and, and, and to go through Bible reading and all that kind of stuff and just do it to check it off a list. It's horrible. It's a horrible feeling. Yeah. And maybe you've been doing it for some time now. Well, how do I get right? How do I, let me ask you, how are you handling the preached word? Are you listening, listening intelligently? Are you hearing and doing? Do you recognize that God is speaking? That he didn't just speak? If you respond to God's word with obedience, God will respond to you with his presence. And there's that fellowship. There's that joy. Well, how does God manifest his, his presence? <clears throat> how does he do that for us? Well, I think according to the text, he does it in two ways. God's, God's, God's presence was manifested by, uh, by his word and by their work. Okay, well, what do you mean by his word? Well, he sent, a, he sent a prophet and he sent him in there and he said, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to give you my word and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comfort you and let you know you're not alone. I'm with you. That's good. I remember when I lived in Denver, Colorado, and I was going to church there. I was in a process in my life where God was weeding things out of my heart and life, and he was just, he was just tearing things out. And, and, and I started to, through that process, doubt my salvation. Now, I was very much saved, but I had gone a long time without trying to ever follow the Lord or walk with the Lord. And I got to the place where I'm like, how could I be so childish spiritually? And I realized that there was, there was no spiritual growth. I was a, I was a spiritual infant. And I remember sitting there, and, and it was like day after day, service after service, for probably a year and a half. I, I, was, I would wake up in the middle of the night with, with, with just fear. Fear. And, and time and time again, I would go to the altar. God, am I saved? God, am I not saved? God, is this? God, is that? Well, God, what is going on? I'm just confused as can be. And I, I said, and, and I don't think this needs to happen every time, but it did happen this time because God knew where I was at and what I needed. But I, I remember sitting there at, at, at the altar and I said, God, if you don't show me that you're with me, then I'm going to burst. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I was just pouring pour my heart out to God. And I'm sitting there in my pew and the invitation was over. I came back to the pew and the invitation was over. And this, this old man, this older gentleman that was there, he, he came up to me and he, he stuck his hand out and he shook my hand and he said, son, I just want you to realize something. Whenever you smile, I know the Lord is with you. I'm like, man. That was so comforting. So comforting to know that the God in heaven 
cares about you. He's got a way of manifesting his presence to us through his word. There's nothing like it. There, there's nothing like going to the Word of God. There's, there's nothing like having your, your Bible open in your lap in the morning and, and you're reading the Word of God and God speaks to you. I mean, I've had my times where there's been chastisement and as well as we all have. I've had my times where I've been in the Word of God and God said, no, Andrew, you know what? You're actually a wicked man and it's been rough and I don't like it, but I needed it. Why? Because he wants to have I'm with you moments. Well, he's got to deal with all that stuff. And I can tell you times I've been away from the Lord and then times I've come back to the Lord and, 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 and it's like, Andrew, I love you. There's nothing like that to hear that your father, with all of our sin, with all of our wickedness, with all of our flesh, our problems, and God just says, I love you. I am with you. Manifest his presence through that communion. And, and when you fail, he assures us of your love. And he'll guide you through difficulties. He says, I am with you. And then he said this. He assured them of his presence through their work. And he said, he stirred up the spirit of, and he named them the, the remnant and, and the, the two men. It just means to, to wake up through the idea of opening up their eyes. It means they were in a spiritual slumber. And, and he, said, he said this, when, when he stirred them up, they came and did work. They got God's work done. You know what it's like to do God's work without God's help? It's miserable. It is the most miserable feeling in the world. It's like, why am I even doing this? Why am I preaching? Why, why do I get up in the morning and read my Bible? Why? Well, there's something there that God just hasn't stirred somebody up. It's like I'm in a spiritual slumber. But, but he said this, here's what I want. I want I, I'm going to stir you up. Because I, because I saw that you, that you recognized my voice, and because I saw that when you recognized my voice, you obeyed, I'm going I'm to give you my presence, and my presence is going to do this. It's going to stir you up to do God's work. And so these men, the Bible says that they, they went up to the, the mountain and they, they got wood and they came back down and they, and they built God's house. They got on God's agenda. You, you see, the, the getting on, off of our agenda and getting onto God's agenda isn't some begrudging thing like, fine, I guess I'll go to visitation. It is when we're doing our own strength. But when we recognize God speaks and we obey, it's like something gets in us again. It's like, oh yeah. I love God. I love people. And I'm going to go to visitation. Oh, you get it? It's not something we manufacture. We can't do it on our own. It's nothing that's in us that can say, fine, I'll get on God's agenda. Because we'll be there for two minutes and then we'll be back on our own. But if we just simply say this, God, I don't understand it all. I don't know why you want me to do this. I don't know why you're asking me to do this. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to obey. And there's something about when we take that first step that God just meets us with his presence. And then he stirs us up and he allows us to do the work of the ministry that we never ever could do. I, I'm just saying that, that God wants us to take the, that God will stir us up to, to do the Great Commission. If we obey, if we recognize his voice, he'll, he'll stir us up to lead a family. 
He'll stir up individuals. God will help a church go forward in a backwards culture with, with his presence. God will help a family go forward in a backwards culture with his presence. God will help an individual go forward in a backwards culture with his presence. God is with you in the work when you're obedient to his word. He's with you in the work when you're obedient to his word. Here's what I think we need to do. To just take an evaluation. Um, how have I handled the word preached? How have I handled the word of God? In my own personal Bible reading and, and in my, my, my pew here at the Southwest Baptist Church. Because man, we're getting some good preaching. He, he's, he's really given us the truth. And I just have this feeling that if we ever get to the place where we truly recognize God's voice, that God is speaking, and these things will be filled up. Churches will be started here in Oklahoma City. Maybe, maybe even right out of here. No? Yep. God is with you in the work when you're obedient to his word. Would you all stand here this evening? And we're going to have an invitation, and the altars are going to be open. I'm going to have a word of prayer with you, and... And I have the invitation song. And then I'm just going to invite you to come to the altar if God's spoken to your heart even here uh, this evening, okay? So let's have a word of prayer and then we will have the invitation. Father, I am grateful for the truth of your word. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we mishandle it. And we're, we're so thankful for the Bible and for the, the King James and we stand strong on those and, and we love it and God, we're thankful for it, but God, forgive us if we refuse to recognize you speak to us through that word. So God, help us as a church to renew our love for you and our um, desire to obey and to hear what you have to say and, and to do it and to purpose to do it. I'm sure you ask for your help and the invitation here this evening. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 451, trust and obey.